Hey, I want to welcome you all uh, to worship with us today. If this is your first time here, a part of Redemption, uh, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, you, if this is your first time again, you have um, walked in on us in the middle of a series in which we are saying is one of the most important series that we've ever gone through. It's a vision series as well as a capital campaign that we've titled um, Building a Stronger Church. And um, so what we've been looking at is the last eight years of our ministry, the first eight years that we've seen God bless us and tremendous ways. And we're saying, now, what are the next 8, 10, 15, 20 years going to look like? And what are some core things that we as a church need to build upon that the Spirit of Christ in us would grow us to be a healthier church? And so week one, we looked at us responding to the gospel, being people who understand what it means to be servants. Uh, And week two, last week, we talked about discipleship, which I just want to say, I challenge a lot of you older people to sign up to be mentors, and many of you did, and we really appreciate that. And um, Ryan Arneson is getting those uh, cards together. And you will be hearing back from him in the next few weeks. Um, So just be patient with us. I know you're saying, if you told us to do something, hey, we did. You did it. So thank you a lot. We're going to get you guys paired up. Um, This week, we're talking about generosity. Um, And we're going to be talking about what does the gospel look like when it applies to a church, primarily through their money. And and I just want to acknowledge just the awkwardness of this, right? If this is your first time here and you're going, listen, I haven't been to church in years. The reason why I don't go to church is because when I get there, they just talk about money. And your friend's like, no, no, just come to my church. We never talk about money. We're talking about money today, um, so uh, I just want to—we didn't, we just didn't want to disappoint you. So uh, just want to be able to acknowledge that. And if you're visiting here and you would say, I'm already a Christian, I get it, um, hopefully you can walk away with some understanding of how the gospel applies financially. You can take it back to your church. Um, but I do believe that it's going to be healthy for all of us. Um, for all of us, whether you're not a Christian here, at least you will understand, like, what does it mean for Christians to be generous? And so seeing that it's not just a mandate, it's not something God's saying, if you don't give, I'm not going to love you anymore. Um, but understanding, okay, why do Christians give? And I, I think it's good for those of you who are visiting, who are Christians and part of other churches, because you can go back and be generous, a part of your own biblical community. But for the bulk of us here, that redemption is our home. Um, we have been an incredibly generous church in the past, and we want to continue to be generous and so that God would stretch us and our faith. And we are a part of a capital campaign. And this is something we've never done. And so um, a lot of instruction goes with it. And so we're going to have a lot of fun uh, um, today. Um, first time I ever taught on money last year, I sweated the entire sermon. Um, so what I did this time is I, I have towels in the back. And so I'm good to go. I'm good to go. So why don't you take out your Bibles and meet me. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand uh, real high, and then once someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, could you please keep the Bible that we give you um, so that you can read God's Word and understand God's Word um, and grow in the, in the knowledge of who God is. And so um, I pick First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians for this. First and 2 Corinthians are two of my most favorite letters um, in the New Testament. Primarily because I think the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is very similar to ours. Uh, They're going through similar things. They're younger Christians. Um, They're in an urban context. And Paul's first letter is just like straight rebuke and correction. It's like, you guys are doing worship wrong. You guys are doing relationships wrong. Here's how the gospel applies to that. Here's good news about your sexuality. Here's good news about your spiritual gifts. And then at the very end of 1 Corinthians, he begins to talk about giving. And how the church is able to give. And he picks it back up in the second letter that he writes this church in chapters 8 and chapter 9, which I would say is a biblical handbook or hand guide for two chapters of what does it mean to be generous? Like what does it mean for an individual and for a church to be generous, giving towards uh, a kingdom giving to see the kingdom of God advance uh, throughout the world around them? And so that's what we're going to be looking at um, today. And um, just for the framework, so I can show you where you're going, um, I want to, is that there's pledge cards on your seats. I'm asking that you don't look at those while I'm talking. We will talk about that later. If you're here and you're visiting or you would say you're not a Christian, hand them to the person next to you and go, this isn't for me, right? And just go ahead and just just do that now. Um, Where we're headed is we're going to start first with where generosity starts from, and it starts with God. And we're going to look where Paul starts at here is looking at the gospel and how good news um, and delighting in who God is calls us to be generous. And then Paul gives us three principles that I would say if you've never learned about giving, you should write these principles down. Three principles for being generous, and that is being, uh, giving cheerfully, um, giving sacrificially, and giving regularly. 
Um, and then the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to answer four questions that have been asked and are commonly asked when it comes to giving um, so that we can have some instruction. So starting with God and the gospel, three principles, and then the four questions. And so first Corinthians, Second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago, probably eight or nine years ago, my wife and I were sitting with a young gal who was a brand new Christian. And it was so amazing to see her new faith and she had her Bible and, and she was learning about Jesus. And we continued to be in community with this particular girl for a while. Um, she didn't grow up around Christian services. She didn't know some of the things that many people know when they grow up around church. Um, even things that sometimes are intuitive. And so um, what I mean is um, she had no idea what the gospel meant when it applied to her sexual and what it meant for her to live under God's reign in her, in her purity. And, and we were sitting in a message, and a friend of ours that was leading this college ministry here in Tempe um, was talking out of Corinthians and talking about um, sexual morality. And he was just saying how beautiful God is and how beautiful God created sex and how your sex life is more beautiful when it's under the lordship of the Lord. And he was going on and talking like, so fornication is something. I was like, fornication? People still use that word. And so he's like, Forn- fornication and, and, and having sex outside of marriage. And the whole time, I'm just going, typical message on sexual purity. This was all college kids are looking at each other. All of them are feeling guilty because um, they, yeah, you know. And, then, and so they're, they're just there. And then afterwards, um, she leans over to the girl next to her, a friend, and she goes, so let me get this correct. God does not delight in or like want me and my boyfriend to be having sex if we're not married. And our friend Katie goes, uh, no. And she goes, ooh. She goes, my boyfriend's not going to be excited about this one, Right. And, and what was so innocent about this, right, is that none of us were like, how dare you? You're a Christian. What is your problem, right? She didn't know. Like, she was so far removed from church. She'd been a Christian for two months, and, and she'd heard about the grace of God, and she, she knew that she had come to know the Lord and that she was a sinner and she received grace, but it had not been applied, right? Um, like, on the hills of discipleship, what we talked about last week, that you can get the gospel, but it needs to be applied to every area. And all she needed was to be taught of what God's picture of it, what his desire for it was. And it changed her. She was able to repent and grow. Um, I think in the same way as our friend, um, it, it happens with us when it comes to money. That many of us, we have an ideal or we think we have an idea when it comes to being generous. Um, what does it mean to maybe give to a local church or give to a, a kingdom purposes or a parachurch or a different ministry outside? But, we, but some of us, we just need to be taught. We need to be instructed. We need to know, okay, what is God's purposes? What is God doing? What, how does the gospel not only apply to every area of life except for my pocket, but even, even my money? What does this look like? And I, I believe, I believe. I totally believe this, is that there, there are few areas that people don't want to talk about, um, and, and, and there, but yet those few areas are indicators of what, usually indicators of where, where a person is at spiritually. And, and, and meaning like when you are freed from the grips of, of consumerism and of materialism, and you understand what does it mean to be generous, there's nothing more freeing than that. And that's not just what I want from you, because this is what God wants for you. This is why God came, and again, uh, so, so we're going to start first when it talks about being generous. We want to instruct. Some of you are going to go, this is good because this is, this is a good reminder. I, I, I've lived like this. M- many of you are there. Some of you are going to go, gosh, I never knew that. And, then, and hopefully those of you are here who don't yet believe in Jesus, but at least go, man, it really is about Jesus with these people. It's not about material things. It is about the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like, that's what it means for us to be gospel-centered. And hopefully all of us would understanding of what it means to be generous, and it wouldn't be guilt-driven, right? Like, my, the last thing I want you to do is walk away from here and go, oh, I just feel guilty. So hear me. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. If you walk away and you feel guilty, that's on you. you got, that's on you. I'm, I'm telling you right now. Not, no, it's on you, right? So let's see what Paul says, starting first with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. He starts off by saying, I'm not going to command you to give, right? This young church, growing church, he goes, I'm not going to command you. 
And I love, I love what the Apostle Paul starts with. He goes, listen, I'm not going to apply it to the will, right? He could have said, listen, listen, I'm an apostle. How many of you are apostles, huh? Huh? Right? Um, God speaks to me. How many, I wrote half the New Testament. Doesn't, doesn't say that. Or he could have gone the other way. Hey, there are poor people. There are really poor people. Like, really poor. And then show them a bunch of pictures. And then really get at their heart. And really get at the emotions only. And say, give. You know what? They would have given but because Paul knows that that's not what lasts. Paul is not just saying, I'm just trying to give so that we can get something to poor people or that we can continue to further the gospel. Like, that is a part of it. But more than anything, I think Paul cares because God cares about the freedom of his people to understand what does it mean to resemble him. So Paul says, no, I'm not going to go at the will and just say I'm an apostle. I'm not going to go at the emotion, but I'm going to go directly towards the heart. Like, what matters most? He says, I'm not going to command you. And then he says in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, I'm talking to Christians, right? He goes, I'm talking, I'm talking to Christians. And there's one thing that you know of being a Christian. It's the thing that called you into being a Christian. And that is this beautiful, beautiful teaching of grace. If there's thing, I get convicted about every sermon that I prepare. The one thing that convicted me on this was not just the generosity. It's just how so often I've read this passage and you can fly over what Paul's doing. You can get to the principles of give cheerfully and sacrificially and give regularly. And you can get to that, but you can miss out on what Paul is trying to do to your heart and what the gospel does to your heart. So many of us that are being Christians for years, we talk about grace. We sing about amazing grace. And maybe if we do one of the quote unquote bigger sins, we love God's grace. But just to look at God again and again and again, Paul says, you know the grace. Like this, this grace, it's a, it's a theological concept and truth that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. I mean, the way that a Christian becomes a Christian is by believing in this good news. The way that a believer in Christ, man or woman or female or child, the way they grow in understanding that is looking at good news that God has given us. This is what changed. This is when we, when we as Christians, right, when we got grace, it wrecked us. It wrecks us. We may not know everything about the Bible. We may not know what it is that God calls us to do. But first and foremost, we realize that God in his grace showed us our inability and our need and how he's the only one that could possibly meet that need. And he so delights in meeting that need. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He he takes grace and he applies it to the realm of economics. He's saying, here's good news, right? You were spiritually destitute and God was rich and he looked at the world and says, how can I be with my people? How can I give them joy? How can I give them freedom? How can I give them the forgiveness of sins completely that they could never do on their own? And Paul says this, he who was rich became poor. He says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's saying, we were spiritually destitute and here's what God did. God didn't look and say, what's the return going to be? You know, if, if so, God was a bad investment banker. He's terrible. Like he looks at us and going, well, you know, I can make, no, he can't make anything. He's, I'm going to invest all of myself. And, and hear me on this. God didn't go, you know what, I'll tithe. I'll just give 10%. No, he gives all of himself so that we may have him. And that in itself changes everything. So now we're free because of God's grace, which is good news. We're free from, from the idolatry of human approval. That, 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 that we try to earn or try to keep from other people. We're free from the idolatry of comforts of this world that we don't have to run to certain things, even material things that, that provide us comfort. And this is something we need to preach to ourselves constantly. I'm just, just, just in all honesty, last night I'm, I'm wrestling with this message and I'm going, why am I wrestling with this message? This is truth. You know why? It's because people hate hearing about money. And you know what? I hate teaching about money. <laughs> but when I look at my own life, one of the most benefiting things that have ever happened to me in my discipleship process is when someone taught me this. And you know what? I'm a coward leader if I don't sit up in front of you in front of God's word and I can teach hard truths about theology, about doctrine, but when it comes to something that is really near and dear to our hearts that I go, let's talk about something else. And that's not good leadership. And I'm not really putting you in the position to live free in the way that God wants us to live free. You see, the grace of God even frees me from that because all that is that's just an idol of human approval what would they think um it frees us and when we're able to loosen our grips on things in this world we realize it is that same gospel that does apply to our sexuality that does apply to our relationships that does apply the way that we work and the way we steward our resource and it does apply to our money and paul says here it is 
God invested. He gave all of himself. And whatever sin offers and whatever anything else offers, even good things, whatever they offer, God offers more because God completely gives himself. And Paul says, that's where you start. You start in good news. You start there in every single the way that you grow in life, you start in good news. And so what it means to be generous, first and foremost, is to look to God who is generous. Wrapped up in the very nature of God is he's giving. That God is constantly pursuing. He's giving of himself. He's constantly giving. And, and Jesus is not done giving, right? It says that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. And the Spirit of Christ sits at the right hand. He says and he's also, the Spirit is also interceding for us. And so God is constantly giving. And so now we, those of us who are Christians, we look in response to that and say, Lord, how can we resemble you? God, you're a giver. How can we resemble you and how can we receive the joy and giving. And that's what Paul begins to teach us in these principles. It's only in response to the gospel that we understand what does it mean to be generous, to give cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly. First, to give cheerfully. Verse 10, he says, and to end in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. You who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And so here's the context here. Paul was talking about the first time they started giving, which is in chapter, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And they started giving. He said, you started giving. This is something where you started and you're growing in. But the thing that you should underline there when it says, this benefits you. Meaning being a cheerful giver, it benefits you. And you go, benefits me? Are you serious? Most of us look at giving as what we have to, like, oh, I have to. Oh, I'm going to miss out on this. We usually think of it as a loss. But what Paul is saying is, no. Like, that's the paradox of living as kingdom disciples. Like, the way up is the way down. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose your life. In order to understand um, joy, it's better to give than it is to receive. And we understand that even on just a a normal level, whether we believe in God or not, that it is very rewarding, so to say, when we give to people. Um, Usually what it does is that it it just makes us feel good about ourselves. But there is something about what, why do we like that? Because every single one of us, whether we believe in God or not, we're creating his image. And we are resembling him when we give ourselves away to people. And so what what Paul is saying here, being a cheerful giver, it's, it's a benefit to you. Like it's a joy to you. Um, another translation says it's an advantage. And what he's talking about, it's a spiritual advantage. That there is something, and I don't want to be mystical, but there is something wrapped up into just being generous when you're free. When, when, when you realize I can give of myself, like God has given me the ability to be able to give. Like that, but just to be generous, to look like him, to be a part of the family business, which is to be generous and be cheerful. I, I think Paul continues to echo this. If you look over at chapter 9. Verse 6, here's what he says, and continue to be a chill forgiver. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that first part what Paul does is in verse 6 right there, he expands and broadens on us what, what, um, what the writer of Proverbs speaks about. And he says, if you sow sparingly, well, guess what? You're going to reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Now, I want to talk about what this means when it comes to being a cheerful giver. Because oftentimes, this could be taught in a way that I think is very unhelpful. Um, is He is talking about sowing financially. In the context of chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's talking about money. There's no doubt about it. Um, but when he's saying whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, meaning the blessings you reap, they're, 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 um, they mirror what you're, what you're giving. And he says, now the blessings you receive when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Now here, it does not mean that if you sow money, you're going to get more money, right? Um, I happen to grow up in an environment, um, and, and many of us have, that we hear on this side, there's extremes. There's the, the, pro, the prosperity theology, that if you have big enough faith and you give to the Lord, guess what? The Lord's going to give to you. And I, I, can t- I can recite to you the liturgy in the church that I grew up in, and we would say it every Sunday when it came to giving time. Um, there would be people up there singing, you can't beat God's giving. No matter how you try, amen, amen, right? And that's the way, that's the way it was. And, they, and the guy would get up there and he goes, oh, it's time for giving. Good measure, shake down, pressing together, running over. And it's just like, and you can give it. It was like, give it to him. So meant somebody, you knew you were there. And so there was, it was just kind of like, ah, is that what it means? That if we give, God's going to give us money, right? 
And so, and here's why I get a little bit um, angry about this is because I grew up with a God-fearing mom. You guys know that. She loved the Lord. I wish she could have um, had a better understanding biblically because, don't get me wrong, my mom taught us how to tithe, right? No, no, no. My mom didn't teach us how to tithe. My mom made us tithe. And so here's what my mom would do. I love her. She was like, here, I'm going to give you guys a dollar. And she'd look at us, and my mom, <laughs> my mom could make a face that all of us would just do whatever she said to do. She'd look at you. Here's a dollar. No. A dime had better got in that plate on Sunday. And I was like, it'll get there. It will get there. But the other 90% is going towards some Sour Patch kids like a mug, right? And then so that was, that was it. And we would have to tithe in that. And, and what we were taught is that if we gave, God would give back to us. If we sold bountifully, God would give back to us. And primarily and only in monetary means. But you know what? We didn't always have that. We didn't always have that. In fact, I would say that we, where we live was just enough where my mom would keep us off from being, having welfare. My mom worked in the inner city for 30 years um, as a preschool teacher with Head Start. And in the summertime when she didn't have a job, she moved us to the suburbs so we can have in her, her ways. It's a better living. And then in the summertime, she worked at a really, really high-end chicken place across the street called El Pollo Loco. And uh, across the street from our apartment complex. And, and that's what we had to make means. And, and she would still give. Now, here's the part that I didn't like about that is because there would be moments. Moments, hear me, there would be moments where in seasons where we'd go weeks without having lights, but we would be giving on Sunday because we were taught, like, if you give, that's how God's going to pay our light bill. And if you would have had, I would believe, good disciples around her, they would have said, okay, let's, let's not just talk about tithing, but let's talk about um, stewardship and what does it mean to be cheerful. Um, my mom was a very cheerful giver, but wisdom has to play into that as well. And so just because you give doesn't mean that bountifully always means money. No, no, no. Um, when Paul is talking about bountifully there, sometimes it could be money. Like sometimes you find yourself stretching yourself out because you're giving towards kingdom purposes and you're going, you know what? I don't know how we're going to make this next bill. I don't even know. Um, me and my perfect example, my wife and I, we, we were a part of some deal that we were doing and we wanted to be able to give. And like, man, that means we're not going to be able to, we wanted to take a trip or something, right? And it's totally like luxury. We're talking like, not like, oh, what are we going to do? Dang it, we can't go to Vegas, right? Like, but we're like, man, we really wanted to go. No big deal. Well, then Holly ran in this marathon weeks later. And, and she was really bummed out that she didn't finish uh, qualify for Boston Marathon, which to me is like, listen, you ran a marathon. That was stupid enough, right? And so she, she, she didn't qualify. She was like 53 seconds off. However, she tied for 64th place. And there's a beer company called Miller Genuine Draft. You get it? Miller Genuine Draft. And they had a 64-ounce beer. And what they did was they, they contacted everyone in these marathons who finished 64th. And then they gave them a really, really cool, like, sorority girl t-shirt. Um, and then $500. And I was like, praise them. Right? That, like, that, that was like, I was like, that has to be from God. Satan would never do that. Right? So that's, that I was, I was so, so sometimes, sometimes... Sometimes it is monetary, but, the, but when it comes to being a cheerful giver, what Paul is saying here is it's the blessings that you get. It's the nearness to the Lord. So we got to stay away from the extremes of prosperity theology, um, but over the next stream, there's a thing called poverty. Over here, they're saying, look at what I can get because of what I've gave. And over here, you have a younger generation who's saying, I don't like that. And so look how poor I am. Look what I don't have. Look how, look at, I'm poor. Like, did I tell you? I'm poor. This shirt that I have, I took from a homeless guy. Like, and there's this sense of if I could just live so low, then that shows that I'm godly. Both are about you. When, when it comes to giving in response to the gospel, it is not about what you gave, but it's about looking and seeing how God gave and what God gave to you. And in response to that, and there is a blessing. I don't want to play this down. Paul is clear. A cheerful giver, there's a blessing. One, God loves it. He says he loves a chill forgiver. And it's a blessing. If you sow bountifully, God will bless you. And, there, and when the blessing primarily, there's a nearness with the Lord. And, and, and if you guys can meet with people who are generous people, which no one's going to really raise their hand and go, hey, that's me, right? It's kind of like humility. Like you don't go around saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty humble, right? You don't, you don't just usually don't do that. But if you talk to people who are generous, they'll tell you like, man, no. There is something God does there, and I can't really explain it, but there is a nearness with him and an understanding. It's not that I do it in order for him to love me, but there's a sense where when I do it, I experience his love and his presence, um, and I'm free. Like, I really am experiencing what freedom is. And Paul says, do this. Now, right there you go. Okay, being a chill forgiver. But Ricardo, how do I do that? Like, I want this cheer, does, does cheerful mean I need to be, like, clapping every time that— um, 
that it's time to give, right? It's like, oh, yeah, it's giving. Yeah, right? Um, no. However, um, awkward enough, I went to a church in Northern California where um, some family members of mine went to, and it was, uh, it was really, actually, the church in itself was amazing. But one of the things that they did do, like their church decided that they, not the pastors, the church decided that every time the pastor said, okay, it's time for giving, that they all clapped. It freaked me out, right? Because they were like, oh, it's time for giving. And I looked around, I was like, what's happening? What's happening? And someone's like, hey, we're clapping because it's time to give. Why aren't you clapping? And I was like, oh. Right? Uh, so th- being cheerful is not just being excited. And that's not to knock that church. The church was an extremely generous church. But what is it, right? Like how do, it, it's something that you have to work on to get there. It's like anything else. To develop a good prayer life, know what you got to do? You got to pray. Um, to develop being a good generous, you have to give. It's something that you work on and you all in response to the Lord. And it's a discipline. I, I remember listening to Tom Schrader talk on giving years ago. And Tom's over at the Gilbert campus. And, and he said, listen, here's what Paul says about a cheerful giver. Like, God loves a cheerful giver. And he was just going on. And he goes, listen, he doesn't want, verse 7 here, he doesn't want you to give reluctantly. He doesn't want you to give on a compulsion. He says, listen, if you're giving reluctantly and you're giving on a compulsion and you're not giving cheerfully, don't give at all. And then afterwards, this guy came up to him. One of the really cool moments when someone in the congregation um, um, checks the pastor. And they came in and goes, hey, um, does God command me to give cheerfully? He goes, yeah. He goes, does God want me to do that? Yeah. Is it better for me that I do that? Yeah. Okay. But you said not to do it if you're not going to do it cheerfully. He goes, shouldn't I do it? He goes, yeah. But I mean, if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to do it, if you're going to do it under compulsion or reluctantly, don't do it. He goes, all right. Well, does God want me to love my wife? Yeah. Does God want me not to cheat on her? He goes, yeah. He goes, okay, well, what if I don't want to do it? What if, what if there's moments that I was like, ah, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it reluctantly. So should I just go do what I want to do? He goes, oh, no, by no means. He goes, do you get where I'm going? Pastor, right? And, and that's a good, like, reminder. Just because God says do something cheerfully, it's not so much emotionally. It's a discipline. And, and, and for most of us, we start somewhere and we grow. And we're going to give more details about that in a minute. Um, part of the way that we can grow in being generous and giving cheerfully is by giving sacrificially. Meaning giving into a point where it hurts. I'm not saying giving to where you can't feed your kids or your lights are not on. Um, that's a bigger issue on stewardship and wisdom. Um, but, but sacrifice, meaning I'm going to go without something in order that I can give sacrificially. Uh, look at chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says, So now... Finish doing it as well, right? Meaning he's like, you started it. Finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He, this is what he's saying, and I think this is so applicable to us. I, I believe that the whole letter of First and Second Corinthians fits us, and I can't wait to take the time to teach through all of it. It's just probably going to take seven years, but we're going to get there. And, and he says here, your readiness, let it fit like your desire and what you actually do. Let those match. What he's saying is there are people, and we should get this. I mean, he's saying you said you were going to do something, do it. You got excited about something, and, and he goes, I want to applaud that, but finish it. He's saying, finish something. Like, part of being a sacrificial giver is having a lifestyle change. Here's what we're good at, especially a younger group of people. In fact, probably this generation more than any other generation in the universe ever, in the history. Um, Start stuff and don't finish it. We will start anything. and I mean, like, and be so excited. We'll get everybody on it. We'll get everybody. We'll call people and say, this is the best thing. And then two months later, we'll be done with it. We start families and we don't finish them. We start marriages. We start school. We start jobs. We start, I mean, we just start and we don't finish them. And I, I do believe that this, that's a problem. That our yeses should be yeses and our noes should be noes. And I'm just as guilty. And I believe that this is a conviction on us. We, we get out of things too easy. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Sacri- sacrificial giving is not just a one-time giving. Um, many of us have been in those moments where we've seen something and it's just gripped our hearts. And they're like, listen, by only eight, many, you know, eight donations of such and such, you too. And, I'm, <laughs> and you pay for it, right? We, and you know what? We should. We should totally give to those things, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But normally what we want to give to is, is, is what grips our heart in the moment. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Um, it's February, right? Not only is it Black History Month, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, there's a... <laughs> But it's the second month of the year, and many of us have started diets. Many of us have ended those diets. 
Because the thing about diets is, diets only work, and, and, and some of you guys who are in nutrition know this, and women that are in nutrition, it, unless you change your life. Like, it's a lifestyle change. Um, I'm the worst at this. Like, whenever I feel like I need to get in shape, I will go run seven miles and not run again for a year. But that day, I was on it. And I, was, I had wrote a plan out and everything. And never again. And I, I think that happens not just in our life, but it even happens where, in, our, in the way that we, um, the way we give. And so Paul is saying, this is a lifestyle. When you, when you start it, why don't you finish it? And it's sacrificial. And you say, what does that look like? If you look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 here, and Paul gives an example to the church of Corinth um, through the, by the Macedonians. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their, abund- their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, even of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul says, here's an example. The, The Macedonians, they didn't have a whole lot. But what they had, they were able to give, and then they gave above that. And he says they all did it in response to the grace of God. And he goes, and here's what was unique. We didn't even really ask them. They were begging, saying, can we help? Can, can, can we give? And that's the example that we have. Now, when it comes to giving sacrificially, we're not talking about amounts. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Everyone in this room won't be able to give the same amount. Nor should you. Nor should you. Um, some of you will be able to amount-wise give way more than what most people can give. But even sometimes that way more for you, you, you know, and, and that's between you and the Lord. That's not sacrificial. I can just, I can give that. And then some of you, um, and, and, and some of you are in extreme cases, legitimately, where I am out of a job right now. I was meeting with a couple, and they're like, we don't, we want to give so bad, and here's what we, we used to make. And I said, listen, I don't, um, how can we help you? Like, your heart is exactly what God is looking for. Um, this is no uh, deal to guilt or um, on one side feel good because of how much you gave or feel bad because what you didn't give. This, give. this is about freedom. This is about us growing as a church in response to the gospel in every area of our life, including being generous. And so some people are here, but most of us, we know we can sacrifice. So it's not just what can I give, but it's like, Lord, what can I go without? Like, what are some of the things, Lord, that I'm going to go without in order sort of that I, I would give? In essence, here, here's, what, here's, what, here's what Paul is saying. Here's what I'm saying. Live below your means. Live below your means. If there's a group of people who should always live below their means, it's Christians. It's Christians. Here's why. We serve a God who, in the way that he redeems us and the way that he saves us, is by going significantly below his means. Paul says he left the comforts of heaven. He was rich. He had everything. But for our sake, he moved in into our world, into a poor family with friends and family members who turned their backs on him, ultimately to the cross in order that he may redeem us. And so he lived well below his means in order that we would not have to go without spiritually. And so we physically now, we don't have to live like the rest of America and say we're going to try to live above our means. So many people, and we're all guilty of it to some degree. That we, we, um, we, we, we try to put on a front externally, um, and we just don't have to do that. We don't. We can have open hands. Um, that's not to say that, um, well, I, you know, a Christian should never drive this sort of car or this sort of car. We get those conversations like, should a Christian ever drive? And they, they mention like the most expensive car, like a 97, a Honda Accord or something. It's like, yeah, sure. Right? Why not? Right? Um, and you hear that and it's like, no, Paul, um, Paul also talked to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he goes, to the rich, he's talking to the rich people, none of us. He's talking to rich people and he's saying, this is how you should live. But um, you should just, you should not be haughty or prideful and you should be generous and enjoy what you have. It's not the, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy what you have. And most people go, yeah, it's rich people. No one thinks they're rich. I've never met the, the person that says, you know what? I'm rich, right? Um, but most of us live in the top two to 3% uh, richest people in the world, right? Uh, I was listening to a while back, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Atlanta, and he was talking to his church and he was saying, you guys aren't rich because let me tell you about what rich people do. And he goes through this thing that was like pretty clear that he was telling them that they were rich. He goes, you know what rich people do? This, this is stupid. They take phones, really important, like good phones, and they go and wait in line for hours to get a new one. 
Even though that was fine, he goes, oh, if that wasn't it, he goes, this is what crazy rich people do. They go in their closet every day and they look at all their clothes and they say, I have nothing to wear, right? And he goes, and lastly, rich people do this. This is weird. They put money in their ashtray. They have so much money, they throw it away, right? And he was just like trying to get the point of saying, that's us. That's us. Um, giving sacrificially is also living sacrificially, and it's living below your means that you may be able to bless others um, in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's exactly what Paul gives us here. The, the last thing that we have in the principle here is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So why don't you go ahead and turn your Bible to the left a few pages. Um, so giving cheerfully, giving sacrificially, and then, and then giving regularly. Here's what he says in chapter 16. This is the first time they started the collection in this church. And he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, so here's what he's saying. I've already told the church in Galatia. I'm telling you guys now. Um, whatever you have, put it aside. Meaning, um, don't, don't just do leftovers, Right? And what happens naturally is, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, and whatever's left over, that's how I'll get to the Lord. Um, that's why it's important for families, married couples, and even individuals to say, okay, here's what I'm planning on making this year. This is what I make, or here's what I have, and I'm going to give. Now, you, you can't, the Bible doesn't tell you exactly um, how often you should give, and therefore, we're not going to tell you how often you should give. Just a rule of thumb when you're reading the Bible, where the Bible is silent, God is silent, therefore, you proceed with wisdom. And so what most people do is that they say, okay, I either gonna, I'm either going to give once a month or bi-monthly or so, so forth, but there should be a regular pattern and that you should go through it and feel it so that you can understand what it means in response to the gospel to give cheerfully and sacrificially. I mean, like, ah, oh, that hurts a little bit. Like, that, that really is going to hurt, or sometimes that hurts a lot. And I'm going to do it regularly because I want a lifestyle change and a lifestyle of generosity, not just a one-time event. And I would tell couples this, do it together. Um, like, make sure you, you do this process together. What often will happen is I'll sit down with somebody, and, they'll, and then they'll ask me a few questions about giving. And, and, and usually what comes up is like, hey, do you know how much I give? And I was like, no, I don't know. I don't do that. Like, listen, I've been told, and you guys have heard me say this before, there's two things that a lead pastor should never touch, the money or the secretary. You know what? And I've, I've, I've faithfully listened to that and, 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 and will. So I don't know, but I'm asking the question, do you and your wife, do you guys do this? No, she handles the money. I'm like, how do you know if you're giving sacrificially? Like, you probably are, but be a part of the process, right? Um, don't just, uh, I don't know what happens. Like, I did it like when another spouse handled the money and our family, Holly handles the money. She's just better at it. She, She's way better at it than I am. And, and so, but when it comes to making decisions of where we're going to give, what we're going to purchase, um, we do it together. Outside of that, um, I ask her. Like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I can buy and what I can't buy half the time. I'm usually in line and in and out. Can I, can I get a cheese on that? No? Okay. No, no cheese. Right? And I mean, there's just like a, I, I just, I just, I don't know. But we, when we come and say, okay, this is what we have, this is what we're going to be able to give to here, to here, to here, um, that's, you guys need to do that process together. If you're single, do it. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And I'm going to share my story here in just a second, but it's a discipline. So again, um, give cheerfully, give sacrificially, and then give regularly, what that looks like. And I, what I want to be able to do now is walk us through some questions that, that you all have been asking that I thought it'd be perfect for us to just walk through this now. Um, the first question is, Okay, we've talked about generosity. We haven't really talked about numbers. How much should I tithe, right? How much should I tithe? Well, I think it's a bad question. Um, and here's why I think it's a bad question. We need to understand what a tithe is. Nowhere in the New Testament would the Bible teach about tithing explicitly. It doesn't say that you should tithe. Okay, where do we get that from? In the Old Testament, God's people were, um, under the law, it was mandatory for them to tithe. The word tithe means tenth. So they were to take a tenth of their gross income. And so gross income is what you make, not just what, what you take home after taxes, but what you make, and they were supposed to give 10% of that. In fact, the average Israelite family gave upwards to about 23% or over under the law. So they were giving at least 23% of their gross income away. And, and what happens is many churches teach that you should tithe, you should tithe, you should tithe. And, and oftentimes you guys will say it, tithe. And, and that's okay, um, but what does it mean in the New Testament? What does it mean post the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, here's what 
Randy Alcorn has, has coined, and, I, and I, I think he's one of the best in talking about, about money, Randy Alcorn. Um, he calls it grace-giving, that we are under grace. And by being under grace, God doesn't give us a number. He doesn't say, here's the number you should give. Because sometimes we want, like, we all want, like, what's enough, right? It's kind of like the 16-year-old boy is like, hey, how, how far can I go? Tell me. Like, tell me, how far can I? It's like, no, no, that's, a, that's the wrong question. The question is, once you look to the Lord and what he's done on your behalf, and you've seen that every single thing that you have belongs to God, and that he, you belong to him, how do you steward what God has given you? How do you steward what God has given you? And so as a pastor, what I use as the tithe is, I use the tithe when I counsel people, is it's, it's a standard. Use it as a standard. For, for, for meaning it's the floor, not the ceiling. Because think about it. If under the law, right, when they had a limited understanding and revelation of who God is and what God was up to, that they were able to give at least a tenth, how much does that look like when we're under grace? When we see the complete revelation of what God has doing, has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And when we look at the teachings of Scripture, when we see Jesus and what he begins to do with the Old Testament, um, he says, listen, you, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, in the law, that, that you shouldn't commit adultery. Well, I tell you, even if you look at a woman with lust, guess what? Guilty. And then he says, you, you've heard it said you should not murder. Thou should not murder. Um, I, thou. I, everything I learned in the Old Testament is all, <laughs> King James. Um, thou shalt not murder, right? And he says, well, let me just tell you this. Um, even if you have hatred in your heart towards another person, that, that's murder. Like, that's murder. And so when we look at that, when it comes to generosity, it's like, Lord, okay, if the, I, we use a tithe as, just as a floor. Lord, we want to be able to, to give more than that. Now, I would say this. Some of you go, I, I've never even given before. <laughs> Can I start at 10? Do I need to start at 10%? Here's what I would tell you. Start somewhere and grow. Like anything else in your life, um, when people, like prayer, you know, prayer and money are usually the same thing. People want to give more. People want to pray more. I'm going to pray an hour tomorrow. You know what? Start somewhere and grow because since this is a lifestyle change, start somewhere, wherever you are, and, and continue to grow and say, Lord, I want to grow and being a chill forgiver and being sacrificial and being regular, Lord. I want to be generous in response to who you are. So there's no fast, hard rule on it, on that, but it's a principle that we start with, a standard, and say, Lord, we want to grow towards that or grow above that. And for some of you, you can't give 10%. You can't. And you should not feel guilty. Like you have set, you can sit down with Jason Rabel or Ryan Arneson or take a biblical finance class and you look at everything you have and you go, this season of my life, I, I literally, I would be like you and your, your mom. We would be without lights. Um, and God loves a cheerful giver. It's not a number. And then some of you can give 10%, not even blink. And so God maybe challenge you to go further. And so it's not so much how much you should tithe, but looking in the Lord and response and growing in him. And wherever you are, start and grow. Um, the next question is, okay, I'm giving. Where do I give? And this is usually a question of, do I give to the local church or do I give somewhere else? Um, just a rule of thumb, I believe that you should give first and foremost to where you have spiritual authority and leadership. Um, where you are being fed by the word of the Lord, where you have community, and where you have accountability. That should be the first and primary place where you give your first fruits or your, your giving towards the Lord. Outside of that, you should be able to give above that and be able to give to other organizations that you see fit. Um, or parachurch ministries. Now, if you're not familiar with parachurch ministries, uh, parachurch ministries are ministries uh, equipped by the gospel to particular people and culture. So if it's college people, it's like Young Life or crew or navigators or things like that. Um, or if it's for athletes, it's fellowship of Christian athletes. It's usually sort towards a, um, a specific group of people that God is blessing. And I would say give that. As a church, we give towards that. Um, meaning, and you guys have heard this, as a church, we believe that um, we should also give. And we should say the floor, um, as a whole church, should be 10%. So we, and Tempe, we're up to the point now, by God's grace, that we give 15% outside of ourselves. Meaning, a lot of it goes to campus ministries here. We don't have a college ministry. We don't think we need one right now. We think they're doing it better than us, and they should continue to reach kids at ASU, and we can help them. Um, we give to church planning and to the poor. Uh, we started several ministries. One in, um, one in particular, Tempe, is here at Southern McClintock at the Imagine Charter Schools. Um, where we see a lot of refugee uh, students there, and we've come alongside the students there as well as their parents and equipping them, um, training them how to speak English and learn English and helping that school. So we believe in that as well as giving to parachurches. But I think first and foremost, it's your local congregation. And then you, you say, but I'm not a Christian. That's why every week we go, if you're not a Christian, we're asking you to give your life to God first. 
Just give yourself to God. Don't worry about, about the money. We don't want that to hang you up. That's we give in response to God, not for God in that sense. And so that's the where. Um, the, the next question is, it comes up is, okay, what's above and beyond? Like you've been saying, I've gotten several emails. Above and beyond, above and beyond. What's above and beyond? And I love this question because I think I shared with you guys in week one. I, I didn't know what this meant either. <laughs> um, eight years ago, I was a part of my first capital campaign. And I was a young Christian. And the pastor kept saying, we want you to give above and beyond your normal giving. Um, and I went up to him and I said, hey, hey, uh, Hey, Doc, uh, what's uh, above and uh, beyond um, giving? He goes, well, above your normal giving. And I, I think I shared with you guys that I, I said, I, I don't even have normal giving here. <laughs> so what, what do you want me to do, right? And so above and beyond is um, every week when you're part of a community, uh, a church here, is that we do giving. And then part of our giving is that that's our, our general fund, is that's what people give. Everyone gives um, in response to the gospel. What we're saying is not add more to your giving, so to say, but have a separate part for the campaign. So the above and beyond we're talking about is for three years, we're going to stretch ourselves even more. And so we're not saying just give towards, just give towards the general fund, give more towards the general fund, but have a distinguish be- between what you're giving for the general fund. So not stopping that, but above that, and we're going to give towards uh, this campaign. And so that means March 3rd, which is in a few weeks here, we're going to have a one-time giving that's going to be the first fruit giving on Commission Sunday. And on that Sunday, we're going to raise $100,000 between all of our services and a one-time cash giving. And what you'll get, which you have there, and we'll get to in a second, is those pledge cards. And the pledge cards are saying, for the next three years, here's what we're going to give towards that. So that's what we mean by above and beyond, is whatever you're already giving, give above and beyond that. And some of you are going, I don't even know where to start, and we have a biblical finance class that's coming up next week that we'll make sure to point you towards. Last question is okay. In response to the gospel, why give uh, towards a campaign? And I think this one is probably more personal. I can speak more personal from this one than all the other ones because, um, let, let me just kind of tell my story on that, is that I joke around about that, that meeting with that pastor, but that was the most transformative thing apart from believing in Jesus that's ever happened to me. Um, I, I grew up, like I said, and that tithing was just something you just did. And then I, then I said, I'm a Christian now. God already loves me. I don't need to do that. And I don't, I don't know what giving even means. And I sat through a biblical finance class, and I had a guy in the class be able to come walk me through what it means. And, and the capital campaign at this church, um, it, it was a part of the mission, what God was doing. And to be honest with you, I didn't even agree with what we were doing. And it was, a, it was like we were in a real capital campaign. But we were raising a million dollars. We were at this church, and it was a $20 million capital campaign. I was 22 years old. We were asking for $20 million. I think I had $20. And I was like, what, what, what does that mean for me? And, um, and God stretched me. It was the first time that I ever really learned how to pray, like pray and ask God to do something um, outside of myself, really. And it was the first time that I'd ever fasted in my life. Um, it was the first time that I ever really sensed the presence of God do some amazing things. And it was the first time during that campaign because it was more than just, it was more than just the money. Like we're saying, it's discipleship, it's service. Um, it's, we're going to talk next week about what does it mean to be an eclectic community, then reliance on God and his spirit. And God changed me. It changed me. At the time, I was still trying to pursue an athletic career. And it was, a, it, was, it was a time in which God revealed to me clearly that this is what he wanted me to do. Clearly as day. And I would say... Um, even more so than any of the miraculous things that I've seen God do. Um, last night I was with a guy um, that, um, that, I loved, that I loved dearly, and, um, and he, he almost died a few years ago, and he was in a coma, and I asked God to allow him to heal him when I prayed for him. Craziest story ever. Crazy. And I laid my hands on him, and they're like, he's going to become a vegetable. And we were there, and his mom, and I said, just pray with me. And I said, God, could you open his eyes? He opened his eyes. I jumped. Right? Like, even though I knew God, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, ah, oh, he really did it. Right? And it was just one of those things where, and I, and I was with that. And like, is as amazing as that is, nothing has been more enduring than what God used through, um, I don't want to say a stupid campaign. I, I still have yet to see what this church built. Um, they did something, but a part of it um, to do it. And so I would say it's responsibility because we're a part of a family. And it's our responsibility of being together in this. We have responsibility to God and to each other. It's mission. We do believe that in the full purchase of this property, we're going to continue to be a church in, in Tempe for as long as God would have, it here, have us here. A, a Christian church in America buys property to ensure that they will be in the location in the city to reach the people around them that they so desire to reach. And they believe that God's called them. 
But number three, it's faith building. So if a capital campaign, I believe, can do that for me personally, that is the same prayer that I'm asking God to do in my life again, and it's the same prayer that I'm asking for God to do in our church. Because here's what I know. If we can understand the freedom, if we can understand what it means to get on our knees to pray, if we can understand what it means to fast, what does it mean to be in community, to rely on God's word, to make disciples, and God just does that, what he did for me as an individual, and he does that with the whole church, we will be a stronger church because we will have a sense of the presence and of the power of the spirit of the Lord that he would work through, through a capital campaign, through all the things that we're growing as a church to really change us as individuals and as 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 a group to be able to worship God. And I really want every single person to be a part of that. I really do. It's, it's amazing, and it's something that we've been praying for. And, and, and it started. It started already. And I do hear stories of what people are going through with families and, and how they're saying, gosh, this is stretching us, but man, we really are going to trust that God would provide. It's really going to trust that God would provide. So as we, as we close in talking about that, I'm, I'm asking again, and we are asking, don't do it for us um, Really talk as a family if you're, if you're married. Um, really talk as individuals or talk with us. Let us come alongside you as we do this. And, and honestly, blow it out of the water um, for, God's, for God's name and ultimately that he would grow us in our faith. That's our prayer, that he would grow us in our faith. Amen? And as, as we close with that, I, I want to be able to walk us through. Um, do you have that? Uh, take out that, the pledge card. On the side here that says redemption, I just want to walk us through this, and we're going to pray over this, and I'm just asking that you pray with me. Um, it's his name. You put your name there, your address, your phone, and your email. And then the four steps that it has here is, one, it says, my initial offering. This is the March 3rd offering. This is the one-time giving that we're all saving and emptying savings and trying to get to, to get $100,000 as a church. Um, that's the one time. And you write down what you plan on giving for that. And then number two, it says, my pledge for the next three years. And just below it, it says, I plan to give X amount of dollars toward the pledge, uh, my pledge, weekly, monthly, yearly, or a one-time gift. I mean, you circle one of those, and you put the number that you plan on giving for the next three years, and so you add that up um, over um, starting in March all the way for three years to be able to add that up. Um, number three here, it says gifts from assets, that's securities, real estate, etc. Um, and let's just be honest, uh, most of us don't have any of that, but... Um, for the three of you who do, um, you guys know what to do with that. And then, and then you get to four. Um, this is the total commitment. So when you add them all together, one, two, uh, and three, what's the total number for that? All right, we're giving that to you now in week three because it fell on the topic of generosity. Um, hold on to this. Pray over this. Pray through this. Pray with people. Pray for people. Pray for us as your leaders and ask God to do exceedingly more than we can ask, think, or, um, or imagine, not just in what we give, but also in our lives spiritually. And then on week six, March 3rd, is when we'll actually turn these in and we'll have a separate offering and a special offering um, for that. But um, gosh, we need everyone on this. I mean, we need everyone to be a part of this and be praying. We are going to have a church-wide fast that's going to be coming up here in two weeks, and you guys will hear more about that, where we're going to fast, and we're going to gather together, and we're going to pray and ask God to do, not just in us individually, but corporately. Amen? Just pray with me.